Thank you so much for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in six different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about Our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Hey, I want to talk to you a little bit about this morning. Uh, I don't know about you, but the older I get, and I'm not old at all, um, it's, I find myself like forgetting stuff, right? And I need reminders. And you know, your wife sends you to the store for three things and you get two and you're walking around the store like going, I know there's something else. I know there's something else. And then you got to call because if you don't call and you come home with two instead of three, then you're in trouble. You need reminders. And I'll tell you this, it seems like I need reminders more often when my world is kind of busy, right? Crazy. And, and, and this morning, our world is crazy. Let's be honest. Things are hectic. Things are crazy. Things are out of control. Things are, it, it, we are living in an era of time that no one has lived in before us. And I think that in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of the busyness, we got to stop and remind ourselves of some, some things that are important. And so this morning, I just want to talk to you for a little bit on the subject that God is in control. God is in control. I want to walk you through a story there in Acts chapter 12, just to remind ourselves that no matter what we see, no matter what we hear, God is in control. And listen, he's in control whether we understand it or not. <laughs> Right? It doesn't, we don't have to understand it or even comprehend it to, to, to understand that God is in control. Because if we can understand all that God is doing, He's not much of a God, right? God is in control whether we believe it or not. Because let's be honest, it's easy to look around and go, where is God in all of this? God is in control whether we believe it or not. And God is in control whether we see it or not. God's not stressed out about anything. He's in control. And listen, it's not even hard for him. So I want to take you to Acts chapter 12 and walk you through this story and share a few thoughts with you this morning. Acts chapter 12, it was about this time that King Herod uh, arrested some who belonged to the church. This was Herod Agrippa, who his goal was to persecute Christians. His uncle, uh, Herod Antipas, is the one who killed John the Baptist. Intending to persecute them, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. And this happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The church there in the book of Acts, they're seeing great miracles take place. Over 3,000 people saved in one day. Great things are happening. But in the midst of this, James is killed and Peter is arrested but we've got to remember that God is in control even when we suffer, even when we go through difficulty. Because the truth is we've developed a theology, a concept of God, an understanding of God that doesn't really allow suffering to be of God. I don't know about you, but when I go through hardship, the first thing I do is rebuke the devil, right? I rebuke the devil or I question God or immediately pray for God to take this away from me. 
Let me just remind you, our Lord and Savior was persecuted on a cross. The disciples were, were, most of them were martyred in terrible ways. There are missionaries around the world today suffering for the cause of the gospel. And we've got to be careful that in our American understanding of God, in our American church, that we don't think that we're untouchable. Because let me just remind you, God is doing something and God will do whatever he has to do to accomplish his purpose. That's why James chapter one, verse two and four says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, even though we're not interested in suffering, and many have thrown it out of their theology, God still uses it for our benefit in order to refine us. But you got to remember this. When we suffer, God is not abandoning us. He's actually moving toward us. It's not a season of God deserting us, but rather God being right there, walking with us. See, the problem is, we've got to base our understanding of God on the word of God. And scripture told us that we would go through trouble, that as believers, we would face hardships. So we shouldn't be shocked when we do. Because let's be honest, it's easy to get up here in church on Sunday morning and sing about the faithfulness of God until we go through trouble and we're like, God, what are you thinking? Right? And we forget. But you gotta know, God's love is not a pampering love. God's love is not a spoiling love. No, God's love is a perfecting love for us. See, God's perfecting love has appointed for his children a season of suffering, and we've got to remember that God is in control even in the middle of it. And because of his goodness, he's working things out for our good. How does he do that? Well, God is sovereign. That simply means he's the supreme authority, and everything is under his control. Uh, you play, anybody play chess? Y'all play chess? I don't know how to play chess, honestly. I can take you in checkers and backgammon. Okay, I can't, probably can't win, but I know how to play those two. But if you're a good, average or good chess player, and then you play against a chess master, guess what? Every move you make, he knows what move to make in order to beat you. He's, one, he's always one step ahead of you. And this is the sovereignty of God. No matter what move you make, God's ready. No matter what move the wicked make, God is ready. He's always ready to make the necessary move in order to advance his mission and his good purpose. And God's got a mission and God's got a good purpose. And you're part of it. We're part of it. It's why Philippians 2.13 said, for, we are who, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. But here, James is killed, Peter's in prison, and the Christians, the church has to be wondering, why are we going through this, and where is God in the middle of this? Maybe you're here today, and you're thinking, well, I know some people need to hear this, but I'm really sincere in my faith, and God always protects me. That's great, but let me just remind you that sincerity doesn't exempt you from suffering, 
Maybe you're here and you're like, well, I'm really involved in the church and I send money to other ministries. And so that's great. But service doesn't exempt you from suffering. Maybe you're like, I've been a believer for a long time, which is awesome. But maturity doesn't exempt you from suffering. Our theology must be secure in this. God loves me. God is for me. And I can trust him no matter what I go through. God loves me. God is for me. And I can trust him regardless of what I go through. Listen, we should never say, if God loves me, he would not, you fill in the blank. If God really loves me, he would not, and some of you right now can think of something. Listen, God loves you even if you go through that. Because God is in control even when we suffer. But God's also in control when it's midnight. I'll explain. Verse four says this, after arresting him, he put him in prison, speaking of Peter, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Okay, just think about that for a minute. There's Peter by himself. And Herod put 16 soldiers to watch one man. You know what this means? Herod, who was wicked, knew that nothing was impossible with God. Herod, who didn't even, who hated God and hated his people, knew that God was ultimately in control, and so he put 16 guards over one man. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Peter had been in prison before. He was in prison there in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5. But listen, listen to this. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. The church is praying, Peter is sleeping, and God's not worried. Peter knew God was in control. I don't know if you've ever been to jail or prison. I've been to jail. I know what you're thinking. You know, nice guy like me. Yeah, when I was 18 years old, I was on my way to Bible college one day, and I was speeding. I was going 92 and a 55, but I was on my way to Bible college. Let it go, please. Don't judge me. Judge not, lest you be judged. <laughs> and so I'm like, I told the officer, I'm on my way to Bible college. I'm doing the Lord's work. He must not have been a believer. He gave me a ticket. I don't know why he didn't take me in. It was in St. Martin Parish. Gave me a ticket, set up a court date. So I didn't tell anybody I had a court date. I had money. I was going to just go pay the ticket. So I lied and told my mom. I know what you're thinking. You're in Bible college and you're lying to your mom. Okay. So um, I told my mom I was going to play golf that day. And so I go to court thinking I'm going to pay my ticket. And the judge must have been having a really bad day. Because he reads through some other tickets I had, just a few. So he reads it and he just looks at me and goes, three days in jail and a $300 fine. If you can't pay $300, you spend 30 days in jail. And then he says this, bailiff, take him away. Like I'm a murderer or something. <laughs> bailiff, take him away. So I'm walking down this law hall. It's like the green mile. I mean, it's like forever. And it says, old bailiff. So I look at him and ask what any normal person would say. Well, hey, when do I come back and serve this? He just chuckles. He goes, 
son, you're here. I said, I can't be here because nobody knows where I am. I knew I got a phone call when I got into jail, so I was asking for my phone call. So they bring me to the jail. There's these three holding cells in St. Martin Parish. The first one, if you're a biker, I apologize in advance. But in the first cell, there's this biker dude. Think about the worst biker dude you can imagine. He was in holding cell number one. In holding cell number two, there was a guy just like me. And then in cell number three, there was somebody else I didn't want to spend time with. So the jailer, she's a woman, she goes, put him in cell number one. That's the biker dude. I, literally, I look at her, you can't do that. She said, excuse me? I said, look at him. <laughs> right? So she goes, okay, cell number one. So I say, how about my phone call? She goes, we'll get to you later. Anyway, I finally get my phone call. Now my mom owns a furniture store, so she's at work. I have to call Collect. Right, this is in 1984. I have to call Collect, and she answers the phone, takes the, she accepts the Collect call, thank God, and goes, where are you? I said, Mom, listen, listen, just listen quick. I lied to you this morning. I didn't play golf. I'm in jail. <laughs> she goes, son, I'm busy, and I don't have time to play. Where are you? <laughs> I said, Mom, I'm in jail. And I had a brother-in-law who had ran for sheriff of Lafayette Parish, Nick Lane, and um, he knew a lot of people. I said, Mom, I, I just, I just call Nick. She goes, you're in jail right now? I said, yes. She goes, listen to this. This is a true mom. They can't put you in jail. Let me talk to somebody. <laughs> I'm like, my mom said... So they put me in, in this cell with 12 guys that are all hardened. They're talking about their time in Angola and their brother in Angola. And I'm like, oh my God, where is God in the middle of this? And then I get a call. So then they come to the door and they go, you have a phone call. I go out and they tell me that my brother-in-law tried to find the judge, but the judge has already left vacation for vacation. There was nothing they could do. I go back in this cell. I'm crying to which one of the jailers goes, one of the prisoners goes, hey, don't cry, I'm gonna be your mama tonight. <laughs> exactly, where is God? They finally let me just get out after one day. I put on an orange jumpsuit suit and wash clothes as a trustee. I'm washing clothes next to this other prisoner. He goes, hey man, I'm getting out soon. Can I get your address so when I get out I can come by? Like, come by. So I give him a fake address, of course, just like you would. He might show up at your house. Who knows? All I know is this. I wasn't sleeping that night at all. I promise you. And yet here Peter is in prison and he's sleeping because he knows God's in control. You know why? Because Peter knew that in Psalms 139, Scripture said that our days are numbered by the Lord. He knew that in Luke 12, 25, I'm sorry, in, in uh, Psalms 56, 8, he says that God's so concerned about us that he saves our tears in a bottle and records them in his book. I don't know how, ask Pastor Chris, he's smarter than me. He knew that in Luke 12, 8, it, Said He knew that Luke 12, 8 said that God is so focused on his, us that he literally numbers our hair. I gave God the day off. 
And then in Luke 12, 25, it says, which of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? I think we, sometimes we should ask God for forgiveness for the petty things we get so stressed out about. For the petty things we worry about and wring our hands over and lose sleep over because we forget that God is in control. So midnight here represents a deadline. It's midnight and Peter's in prison waiting to be executed and here he is sleeping. Maybe you're here today and you're facing a deadline. A deadline in your family. A deadline on your job. With your finances. You're stressed out. Listen, you need to remember, you may have a deadline, but God doesn't have time constraints like we have. God is beyond our time constraints. He's not limited by time and deadlines because he has options that we don't have. Think about John chapter 11. Jesus has a friend named Lazarus. He gets word that Lazarus had died. It's interesting because if you read the story in John 11, it literally says this. Jesus got word that Lazarus had died, yet he stayed where he was for two more days. Like, if I die, I want Jesus to come now. Right? If I die, I want you to come right now. Come see me. I won't say much, but come see me. So, and then what happens is this. Eventually, Jesus goes to the house of Lazarus, and the Bible says that Mary and Martha met him outside and said, if you had not been here, our brother would not have died. They're literally complaining to Jesus because they forgot that he is God, and it's not over till he says it's over. Amen? Because God's in control even when it's midnight. Verse 7 says this, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and chains fell off Peter's wrists. And then an angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. And then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. Listen, it doesn't matter how late it is, what the hour is, or how close we are to our deadline. God is still a miracle-working God. Amen? And maybe you're like me. Maybe there are times when I go, why doesn't God show up? I don't know how it is for you when you go through a crisis. But when I think back over my life, over the few real crises that I've gone through, here's what I know. I draw really, really close to God. Like I'm praying constantly. I'm praying, I'm crying out to God. I'm being honest with God. I'm being vulnerable with God. I'd like to tell you I live that way every day, but that would not be accurate, right? You know, we get caught up in our busy world. But in crisis, I'm vulnerable with God. I'm close to God. I'm spending as much time I can in his word and in his presence. I'm putting on worship in the morning. And all the while asking God to make this stop. I don't know about you, but, if, but as a parent, I love it when my kids are close to me. 
And I love it when they want to be close to me, when they choose to be close to me, right? And I have a feeling that when we draw close to God like this and then we ask him to let, this, let everything stop, I think God likes it that way for a while. God's like, I've been wanting this type of relationship from you. And if this is what it takes, then that's okay. God wants us close to him. And sometimes we only get that to that place through crisis. So God's in control even when we suffer. God's in control even when it's midnight. And then God is in control even when our faith is weak. Listen to verse 12. It says, when this had dawned on him, being Peter, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the entrance, at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. So listen, they're in the house praying for Peter to be released from prison. Right? Next verse. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening the door and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. And this was their response. You're out of your mind. Okay, just get this picture. They're praying for God to step in and work a miracle. God does it and they tell Rhoda. I didn't even know there was a Rhoda in the Bible. So they tell Rhoda, you're out of your mind. And then they say, when she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. In other words, he must have died and his angel came to the house. Can I just tell you? Their faith was weak, but God answered them regardless because God always comes through in his plan. God had a plan and God had a purpose. It reminds me of Mark chapter nine. Mark chapter nine is a story of a father who brings his demon-possessed son to Jesus. He had heard that Jesus was doing miracles and he brought his demon-possessed son to Jesus. And he looked at Jesus and he said, can you do something for my son? And Jesus looked at him and said, can I? Literally, Jesus goes, can I do something? Of course. And this is what the father said. He said, I believe, but help my unbelief. And I don't know about you, but I connect with that. Because I believe that God can do anything. I'm just not always sure he's going to do it for me. I believe that God can do, I believe all the, I believe God's all powerful and nothing's, but I don't always know if he's going to come through for me. But I want to remind you, God's sovereignty supersedes, our faith is important, but God's sovereignty supersedes our faith. We should find comfort and encouragement in the fact that God is bigger than our lack of faith because God is ultimately in control. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished or beside themselves. And this brings us to our last point. God is in control even when the wicked seem to prosper. Acts chapter 12, verse 21. On the appointed day, Herod, a wicked king, Wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. And the people shouted, this is the voice of a God, not a man. And Herod loved every bit of it. Have you ever just wanted God to slap somebody for you? <laughs> Be honest. Right? You ever just want God, like, God, if you just slap him one time, just once. 
Like, you know, you're, you got a coworker and they're always making fun of your faith or whatever, and then they get a promotion and not you, and like, God, you need to step in and slap them right now. Have you ever looked at a wicked person or a wicked group of people and asked God, God, why don't you do something? Listen, the Bible teaches us that this is what eternity is all about. Don't you worry. There is coming a day when God will bring about his judgment upon wicked people. People who refuse to bow their knee to Christ. Every once in a while, God gives us a glimpse of his power toward those who arrogantly reject him. And it should remind us of something. Listen, when you see the wicked pay for what they've done, It really should not invoke joy in our hearts. It should remind us of what Paul said when he said, but for the grace of God, there go I. Because there was a day when every one of us in this room were wicked and without God. And it's only by his grace and his mercy that we're here today. Now listen, God can punish. Verse 23 Immediately because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, slapped him pretty much, and he was eaten by worms and died. That's a bad way to die. Listen, it may look like the wicked are prospering, but remember there's coming a day when God will be exalted once and for all. Verse 24. So we see all of this stuff happening in this one chapter. And verse 24 says this, but the word of God continued to increase and spread. You know what that's saying? In light of what the enemy tried to do, despite what the wicked tried to do, God made sure that his purpose was fulfilled for them. And regardless of what you're going through, what you've been through, what you will go through, God will make sure that his purposes are filled in your life as well if we don't quit and if we don't give up. God's in control. His kingdom is being built. His agenda is advancing and we have the opportunity to be a part of it. Listen, nothing delays God, nothing stops God, and nothing is too hard for God. And I don't know what you're going through today, but God knows. That's why 2 Chronicles 16, 9 says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. You take care of your heart and let God take care of the rest. You take care of your heart. Let God take care of the rest. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We walk by faith and not by sight. I don't know what your eyes are on and I don't know what you're seeing and what you're dealing with, but you need to walk by faith because God is in control. Years ago, I read a story about a young couple who had a five-year-old little boy. The mom was diagnosed with cancer and eventually passed away. They went through all the proceedings of the funeral and after the funeral that evening, the dad and the little boy went to bed and the little boy kept tossing and turning and the dad kept saying son you've got to get some sleep you've got to get some sleep they were facing 
each, they were not facing each other. They were facing opposite directions. And the little boy was tossing and turning. And finally, the little boy said this. He said, Dad, I think if you would just turn my way, and if you would just put your face toward mine, I think I would be okay. And the dad did. And just in a matter of time, the little boy had fallen asleep. And then that father, who had just buried his wife earlier that day, found himself looking upward with tears streaming down his cheek. And he said, God, God, I think if you would just turn your face toward me, I could make it through this. I don't know who you are today. And I don't know what you're going through. But maybe this is your moment to go, God, if you would just turn your face toward me, if I could find the strength that is found in you, I think I could make it. God cares. God knows. And God has not forgotten you. Would you bow your head? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to ask you a question. If today you find yourself in one of those moments where you just need God to turn his face towards you. You're a believer, you love Jesus, but you're going through some things that you just need to be reminded God is with me. If that's you, would you just put your hand up and put it right down, right back down, all over this auditorium, all over this auditorium. Can we pray? Father, we're so thankful today that you are here. God, we're so thankful today that you love us and that you care for us and that you know exactly what we're going through. But God, sometimes it just feels like we don't know how we're going to make it through. Sometimes we feel like that dad and we just, God, if you would just turn your face toward me in the middle of my struggle, in the middle of my suffering, Lord, as I face a deadline, God, if you would just turn your face toward me, I could make it through. God, today I pray that you would fill us with the strength of God. Father, I pray that you would fill us with the supernatural strength of God. Lord, faith, Lord, like, like is, that is not our own. Father, you said in James 1, 5, if anyone lacks wisdom, let, let them ask God. God, we pray today, fill us with the wisdom of God and the mind of Christ to go through what we're going through. But God, when it's all said and done, I pray that we would surrender our struggle to you and let you take over. Because the truth is sometimes we hold it and we manage it and you're just waiting for us to release it. God, today, give us the wisdom, give us the strength to simply surrender it to you and let you take over. God, I pray for a spirit of peace to be upon each and every one of us. God, I pray for a spirit of joy, even in the midst of the struggle, that like Peter, we could sleep in the middle of a struggle because we know, we know our God and we know what he's able to do. God, thank you that you're using it for our good. God, thank you that you're using it for our good and that you've got a purpose in the middle of it. Would you just keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed? I want to ask you a question. I want to talk to those of you who maybe you're here today and you've never simply surrendered your life to Christ. You've never been born again. You've never said, God, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. 
Can I just tell you, it's tough to go through struggle, but I can't imagine going through trials and tribulations and struggles without Christ by my side, without the peace of God that comes in the middle of it. You're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your savior. And maybe you say, well, I've been baptized, I've been christened, all those things are great. But there was a man in John chapter three who came to Jesus and simply said, tell me what I must do to get to heaven. And Jesus said, you must be born again. He didn't say baptized, he didn't say christened, he didn't say take communion or give money to the church. He said, you must be born again, you must surrender Born again simply is ABC. It's as easy as AB3, ABC. A, admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you've fallen a short and you're a sinner in need of a savior. B, believe that Christ alone can bear your sin, your shame, and your guilt. And C, confess him as your Lord and savior. Can I just tell you, religion makes it hard to get to God. Religion says you've got to jump through hoops to get to God. Can I just tell you, that's not the heart of God at all. That's why Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it's that simple. And we want to give you an opportunity right now to call on the name of Jesus, to simply take the steering wheel of your life and literally give it to God, surrender it to God. Can I ask you a question? If you're here today and you've never made a commitment to Christ, would you just lift your hand and put it right back down? You're here today and you want to make a commitment to Christ today. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I want to do this. I want to pray a prayer. I want to lead you in a prayer. I'm ask every person in this room to pray in support of, pray along in support of these that raise their hands. Can we pray together, dear Lord Jesus? I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my sin my shame and my guilt and you died for it. I believe that you faced hell for me so I would not have to go and you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. God is my father. Jesus is my savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper, and heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we thank God for these today? Thanks again for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about Our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com.